Good evening. It's wonderful to have all of you here tonight. Hope you're having a wonderful summer. Well, we're going to hear tonight uh, first from a man who needs no introduction. So what am I doing here? <laughs> it's Dr. John in the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about something called the shadow effect. I thought that was just what ruined my pictures, you know, the, the shadows. <laughs> but actually, the shadow effect is something that they're using for generating power. First, we need to talk a little bit about what solar panels are and how they work. Remember how we use solar panels, and we put them out in the sun, and the sunlight hits them and creates electricity. And I have kind of a diagram here to kind of explain how this works. So the light hits the surface on the top and it essentially knocks loose an electron. And then because of the semiconducting properties of the material below, we get a separation of charge and then we can hook the wires up to that and run it through and do some work. Turn on a light or turn a motor or something like that. Well, um, these researchers in the National University of uh, Oh, shoot, I forgot where. Anyway, <laughs> these smart researchers somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Singapore, sorry. Uh, National University of Singapore. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so uh, they were studying this problem. We, there's a lot of really great places we could put solar panels, but if we put them there, the sunlight's going to be blocked. They're going to have shadows. And when you put shadows on top of a normal solar panel, like the kind I was just showing you, then you lose most of the benefit. You, you lose a lot of the electricity you'd be able to join, uh, produce with that. So they were investigating how to make uh, these solar panels more valuable. And so, of course, they put gold on them, right? <laughs> no, really, they, they actually put a 15 nanometer layer of gold on silicon. It's a little bit different than a normal solar panel and they found something pretty amazing, and they call it a shadow effect power generator. So uh, if you watch this video, you can see how when they put the shadow on, you'll see how uh, as soon as the shadow goes over their uh, panel, then it turns on the light. And then when it's all the way covered, it turns back off again, only when it's half covered. So what they found is a way to make electricity from a light gradient. I mean the difference between the bright part of the panel and the dark part. And they call this the shadow effect. So this wouldn't quite work if you lived underground, you know, all, shadow all the time, right? <laughs> well, you got to have the light and the shadow at the same time. And there's some pretty neat things you can do with this. One of the things they found is that in a shadowy condition, like where the shadows move as the day progresses, you could generate twice as much electricity in that location with, with these SEGs, as they call them, than you could with just a normal solar panel because of this principle. So they're actually making a electricity from that light difference. Pretty neat stuff. Another application that they are thinking about is not just power generation, but making sensors that detect the, the change in light when they get half covered with a shadow. And that would be a self-powered sensor that could detect, for example, things passing by. So in this next video, if you watch really carefully, 
There it goes, now in slow motion. You got the little light turn on when it passes one, and then another light turn on when it passes the other. And of course, it only works when half of the sensor is covered. That's the condition when it produces the electricity. So you have that little window. And uh, so they think this could be a really great uh, new type of sensor that we could use in a lot of different applications. All kinds of robotics and things use sensors like that. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Um, they're still working on this. There's still a lot of development to do, but it has some pretty promising applications, doesn't it? One of the things that they're experimenting with is uh, using it on flexible materials, actually having wearable power generation. You know, I was thinking uh, solar pants, right? You know? <laughs> and that's powerful, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't work as well with the normal solar panel because at least half of you is usually in the shade, right? <laughs> uh, but this way, uh, that gradient would actually be a plus. It would help make it work. And these panels also work quite a bit better in uh, normal room ambient light. So not just when you're outside where it's really bright, but indoors, you could actually be producing a little bit of electricity as well. And they're also experimenting with different metals. Remember I was telling you they put a 15 nanometer layer of gold? Well, if they could find a cheaper metal that works as well, then they could make it a lot more affordably. But on the other hand, a 15 nanometer layer is really thin. That's like one five thousandth of a human hair, roughly. A very, very teensy amount. And so even though they're using gold, their end product, they estimate, is quite a bit cheaper than normal solar panels today. Because there's actually quite a bit into, uh, you know, getting the pure silicon and doping it and everything to make normal solar panels. So that's pretty awesome. But on the other hand, you know, gold pants or a gold jacket that generates power sounds pretty, pretty awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And that's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. Well, I'm pretty excited because it's that time of year, folks. For sunscreen and deodorant? No. Well, yes, but <laughs> no, it's that time of year, at least in the United States of America, for fireworks. Because on the 4th of July, as we, I'm I'm sure all of us know, we start seeing amazing, glorious fireworks pop up all over this country. And I want to show you a quick video. And this is filmed by a drone that was not run by me. Um, I've thought about this. But look at the amazing colors. And we've all, we've all seen these. Um, and it's, it's amazing to watch them. It's so magical to see these. But what, what makes this happen? So to really talk about this, uh, when did this come about? When did these get invented? I mean, did we invent this in America? I and mean, we do it every year on the 4th of July, and it's so awesome. Well, we know it was before America because the day before America's first birthday was when John Adams wrote to his wife saying that we should celebrate America's birthday every year with things like fireworks. So we know it was before then. Well, it turns out we have to go hundreds, even thousands of years back to ancient China. Yes. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? They invented fireworks and Rangoons? Yeah. <laughs> you better believe it, okay? So, but ancient China, and we start with 
bamboo. And it, the, the story is that there were some Chinese that lived out at the bottom of some mountains, and they were worried about a certain, basically a Bigfoot creature, okay, that lived at, in the foothills. And it's said that they figured out a, a, an idea of how to scare them. They would take bamboo and heat the bamboo with fire, and the air trapped inside bamboo would expand until it would explode or pop and make loud pop sounds. And this, they figured out this way to use heat or fire to make these loud popping sounds. And apparently it worked because we have no reports of Bigfoot. So, <laughs> but that was something that they did with bamboo and they could use heat, apply heat, and they started getting these loud sounds. Well, hundreds of years later, there was another um, discovery in China and one of the scientists there was tinkering with some different substances trying to create what they thought was or hoped was going to be an immortal immortality medicine that's yeah and it's funny they came up with this but he had carbon he had some saltpeter or potassium nitrate and sulfur and he was mixing these and they he discovered that when you put them in a fire, now did they go on the fire because he tried it or he was done and they didn't work and <laughs> one, one way or another, they went in the fire and there was an explosion and a loud sound and a loud flash. And he all of a sudden discovered this very interesting characteristic of this mixture. And they, they started to use this. And credit to the Chinese because, I mean, the ingredients he had just discovered really are the basic building box, blocks of fireworks but also gunpowder. Um, but you've got to give it to the Chinese because when it happened, it wasn't like, boom, oh, destruction. No, it was, boom, salt pretty. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what I went to. They, the guns didn't come first, okay? Um, they started making these incredible shows or uh, these explosions. They would put this substance, this mixture, into bamboo, hollow bamboo. They put it in, and they would shoot it. And it was beautiful, and, and they, they used it. Then finally somebody thought, oh, put it on an arrow, okay? And when it went that way, so, okay? Um, we, we started the whole gunpowder thing. But fireworks came from this little discovery of this explosion. And slowly but surely, that would spread around the world, as, you know, as we know. But that was like 700, the, in the, year, the century of 700. So way back there when they started figuring this out. But what was happening? So we have the carbon, we have the saltpeter or potassium nitrate and sulfur. Well, it turns out it's, you could really look at the same, some of the same process going on if you like go to a cookout on the 4th of July because a lot of those, those grills and stuff, they have those black looking rocks, the charcoal, okay? A lot of what's in charcoal is carbon. And so if you're burning charcoal, what is actually happening? Well, the, there's oxygen in the air, and the oxygen, when that energy, that heat is applied to the charcoal, the oxygen starts pulling off carbon, and it takes two. It takes, if one oxygen wants to pull the carbon, it takes two of them. So you have two oxygen and one carbon, two oxygen and one carbon. And as that starts to happen, it generates energy in the form of heat and light. So that flame you see burning off of charcoal is the oxygen in the air pulling off the carbon, you could say. And if you give it more oxygen, what happens? It actually burns faster, more quickly, more powerfully. And this is kind of, I mean, this is what happens in fireworks, but I mean, this is, this is what happens in us. We've got fireworks inside, no, <laughs> sort of. Um, when we breathe in, we're breathing in the oxygen, 
And it turns out that the oxygen is doing a similar thing to the carbon inside of us in things like glucose. And then when we breathe out, it comes out as CO2, two oxygens and one carbon. And this is, so why is this important? Well, it turns out if we can get, what if we could give a super powerful punch of oxygen? <laughs> anyway, how, however it sounds. Um, it turns out that's what we need, needed in something like fireworks, uh, something that oxidizes that process. And that's where the potassium nitrate comes in. Things like potassium nitrate have such a powerful kick of oxygen, it's like really concentrated oxygen, way more than in the air. And when we apply heat to it, it starts to make that happen, where all this oxygen starts coming and no, I was going to say attacking. It's not attacking. It's not violent. Um, but it's reacting with the carbon. And all of a sudden, you start having this explosion, you could say. And, if, of course, if you have it contained and that, that expansion changing into the gas and the heat and the energy has nowhere to go, then it starts building up very, very quickly until you get a boom, right? And if you have a little hole for it to escape, it's going to shoot up and turn into like a booster, right? So here is a picture of inside a classic firework shell. And at the bottom, that's the first point that explodes. And that's what gets it up into the air, away from people. And I do need to just put one note in here. Okay, gunpowder is dangerous, fireworks are dangerous. Be good. Okay, moving on. So if we look at this, then in the middle there's that line and that's the fuse of the flame running up. And that line is like the timer that's that the flame has to burn down before the big explosion and we see all the colors that we know and love. So as it's going up into the air, that's the timer. And then once it's burned down, boom. And each of those circles and those cubes are where the next part comes in. Turns out fireworks are just a humongous chemistry miracle. It's all in the chemistry because the colors that we see are different elements and the way they burn. The, the colors they give off. So here is a picture of different element flames by burning different elements. And depending on the element, and we use it in, in its salt form, so it's basically these little, this powder of the element that we put in and using different mixtures. So we can do, um, oh, yep, I don't have all these memorized. Um, orange, calcium, like what's in your bones. Green, barium, blue, originally they used arsenic for blue, but they decided, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so they now use copper. Um, and here is a video of a couple different samples where they're dropping in different elements into this flame, and you can see the colors that they burn. And you'll see these sparkles. Have you ever seen these right here? Yeah. And then these, these are my favorite right here. Okay. So those first sparkles, th that was iron. And the second one was magnesium. So really, figuring out how to do this comes down to the chemistry behind, okay, we'll, have, we'll put this element in to make that color. But if you've seen some of those fireworks now, they like shoot out, and then it's done. No, it's not. And it goes, okay, terrible impression. But <laughs> that is actually through a lot of science and studying on chemistry behind what's going on. Some of them are literally, they figured out this reaction will take this long, so it'll take longer to take place. So this happens, and then, then this reaction goes. So they literally 
have taken the chemistry, put it into fireworks, and made some real magic. So just in closing, we have to look at one more just to get you in the, the firework fever. And see those little bright flashes of white down at the bottom? Magnesium. You're just, your, fire, your Fourth of July will not be the same, folks. So, <laughs> so just remember, I mean, you could thank John Adams. You could thank the Chinese or Bigfoot. Thank you. <laughs> Now, introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yep. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. That's really good. So uh, what are you hearing from our students tonight? They want to understand how oxygen gets picked off with the fireworks. How oxygen <laughs> gets picked off. Actually, he says the oxygen picks off the carbon. Mm -hmm. Takes two of them. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It is uh, kind of interesting how atoms connect with each other and form molecules. A molecule is a group of atoms that are clumped together, kind of, they form a family. Like water is a molecule, it's a family. And it's made up of two hydrogens and one oxygen. And what holds it together? You know, they say that a lot of families are held together by the children. Right? Well, that's kind of what happens only in a molecule. The children that holds the elements together are the electrons. The electrons are the little charges shoot around, but they're much, much, much smaller. That's why they're like the children. Right? So just think about it. Every atom has uh, electrons going around the atom, and an atom nucleus, the part in the center, is broken into protons and neutrons. And these are little particles. Neutrons don't have a charge. Protons have a positive charge. Electrons have a negative charge. And that's why the electrons stick around. They want to be around that positive charge. So in the case of hydrogen, hydrogen just has one proton in the center and has one electron going around it. It's interesting that the proton in hydrogen, which is down in the little center, like right in the middle of the nucleus of the atom, is the same as the proton in oxygen, in carbon, in gold, in everything. The protons are the same. What's the difference? How many? If you have just one proton, it's hydrogen. And it will have just one electron. If it has two protons, then it's Helium, right? And if it has three and four and five, when you get up to these higher numbers, when you get way up there, then you're in the very, very heavy elements where they have a lot of protons and they have a lot of electrons. And some elements have one neutron or two or more or three. They can have different numbers of neutrons because they're neutral. Like hydrogen normally has no neutrons. It just has a proton with an electron going around it. But every once in a while, like every 100,000 hydrogen atoms or so, there's one 
that has one proton and one neutron. And we call that an isotope of hydrogen. Isotope meaning that it has different neutrons. Interesting thing is that the neutron weighs as much as the proton. So we call hydrogen with a neutron, we call it heavy hydrogen. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. it weighs twice as much. And there is even another hydrogen that has two neutrons. We call that tritium, deuterium. Deuterium mean double, weighs twice as much. And just regular old plain natural hydrogen with just a proton weighs just one on the atomic charge. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, what else you got? They're excited for Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we had a, a question come in that I wanted to talk about a minute tonight. And uh, maybe it would be a good idea if we just start off with that. I think so. That would be okay with mm -hmm. you. All right, I'm going to go over to the shooter podium here. <laughs> and I feel like the mic's not working. Can you hear me? What? Your mic's not working. No. Actually, uh, I got a question that, that I was kind of excited to get because it gives me a chance to talk about something I wanted to share with you. And the question was, are girls good at science? <laughs> they asked, yeah. And I was expecting something more like, are girls good science? <laughs> <laughs> But are girls good at science? Well, and you I wasn't going to ask that. There's, <laughs> later, okay? There's, uh, there's a story I want to tell you about. Uh, and this is a, an actual, genuine, true story, which is where I formulated my opinion on whether or not girls are good at science. All right? And, you know, a lot of guys have gone into science, but nowadays we've been getting more and more and more ladies getting involved in these sciences and in engineering. But I'd, I'd like to tell you about this experience I had. I met a student once that uh, was uh, having an interview about coming into schooling here at the Academy of Science. And so I was, you know, doing my thing as a, as a professor and just saying, okay, so what are you interested in? And, you know, could have been chemistry, hydrogen, engineering. But this particular young lady said, I am, I like horses. There's nothing wrong. I, I like horses too. Horses are amazing, beautiful creatures. And, and one nice thing, I don't know if you knew this, but it's true of almost every horse. They have one horsepower. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great. What, what else are you interested in? Now I know I'm going to get the science answer because, you know, Academy, International Academy of Science. She said, um, I'm a dancer. Well, dance is amazing. In fact, in, in Acellus, we have a lot of dancers. In fact, we have some amazing, very famous dancers and it just makes us so proud. But uh, when you're trying to get a science program going and you have a student that comes in and says, yeah, I'm horses and dancing, what do you do? And I said, well, are you interested in science? And she looked at me and she said, 
I don't understand science. And I thought, hmm, I think Einstein said that once too. <laughs> you know, so you don't understand it. And, it. and it made me think, I mean, I said, well, if you, if you did come to understand it, do you think you would learn to be interested in science? Do you think maybe you'd be one of those ladies that would even want to make a career in science? And so we started quite a discussion. And um, there was interest, but she seemed to be more interested in dancing horses and, and lacked a little confidence. Now, I have to bring in a, a side story because you need to understand the context. About the time all this was going on, I was getting really involved in computer networking. You know how you send data from one computer to another, and if you go talk to or look at anything on the internet, you're going over a network. Some are wireless. Back then, wireless wasn't so popular. It was more with cables. And it frustrated me because it seemed that the data rate over the cable was really slow. If you wanted to download a photograph, you know, it took a lot of time. And I wanted to make it go faster. And so I started working in the laboratory on a way to make it go a lot faster. The standard at the time was 10 megabit, and they were just coming out with something called 100 megabit. It means 100 million characters a second, which sounds like a lot, but really, if you're bringing in really big files, it's not. And so I decided they want to do 100, I want to do 1,000 megabit a second, or gigabit. And I wanted to do it over the wires that are already existing in buildings. And so I got involved in a lot of projects to develop a technology that would send data right over the, the existing wires, and it worked quite well. And I actually set up a factory and we started manufacturing this product. We called it Wideband. And no one would believe that it actually worked over the existing wires. You can't go that fast over copper wires. It's impossible. The science of it, the physics of it, you just can't do it. And, and yet, I had it. How do you convince them? And I said, this wideband technology is so good, I could send data at a gigabit, a billion bits a second, over a barbed wire fence. <laughs> and that, that made a group that I said it to laugh. And so I went home and got some barbed wire, and I, I made a wall like you put in a wall of a building. It was just a narrow piece of wall with two-by-fours. And then I ran strands of barbed wire across the boards, and I hooked up the network to one side and the other side of the network to the other side. And sure enough, I could send data at a gigabit over barbed wire. And so I said, wait until the world sees this. <laughs> this is going to be really neat. So they were having a big computer conference in Las Vegas. And so I packed my little wall up in a truck and had the guys haul it to Las Vegas. I flew out because, you know, well, I'm a VIP. Anyway, we got out there, and I needed to go set up my exhibit. And then when people came by, I had to explain to them how this worked, and then I'd show them. And people, I knew this was going to be a breakthrough moment 
And I will jump ahead of my story and tell you, and it was. It really, really turned out to be really good for me. And it started a lot of, it was the beginning of gigabit ethernet, which I can tell you a lot of stories about too, how it became a standard. But I needed someone to go and stand in front of my wall and explain this to people. So I went back to this student that liked horses and dancing, but had just a little problem with shyness. And I said, would you be willing to uh, go to this show and, and tell people about gigabit over barbed wire? And <laughs> I convinced her. And so we get out there at the show, we put up our booth, and I thought, boy, she's going to just get everybody excited about this. And so she stood, she had these white boots, and she stood up there next to the barbed wire wall, and all these people started coming down the aisle, and she stood there. <laughs> and they looked at her and went on by, and she, she was so dignified and quiet. And I thought, man, this is not working. This shyness, this shyness is killing us. We've got to do something. Well, that year, the, right next to the convention hall is a, a hotel. It happened to be a Marriott Las Vegas Convention Center Hotel. Big, wonderful hotel. And in the lobby, there was a big sign that says, Las Vegas Dance Contest tonight. So I got this idea, I said, hey, guess what? Guess what? They're having a dance contest, and you're in it. And I thought, if she got up in front of those thousands of people, you know, there's, there's going to be, you know, three, four hundred contestants, she wouldn't get too embarrassed, and it would build her confidence, and then she'd go down and tell people about the barbed wire. What scientists have to go through, right? <laughs> and so, anyway, um, we eventually agreed she would do it because we were going to work on being brave and in front of people and stuff like that. Would you believe it? She was a finalist. Out of those, it was over 300 contestants, and she started doing it. I went and watched, a lot of us did, and there were there's thousands of people in that big auditorium and they started eliminating people, and they were down to the finalists, and she was a finalist, and then she won. First place, Las Vegas. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. The next day, when we were at the booth, everybody was combined. Didn't you win that dance contest last night? And she says, yes, did you see the barbed wire? And, yeah. Um, can any of you... Um, predict or guess who that person is, the real person, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a, a clue. They say that when it comes to clues, a picture's worth a thousand words. So I'd like to show you this picture and see if you can figure out who it is. There you go. That's the horseman, woman. Can you see that? All right. How about we move forward a little bit, another horse. There you go. Now do you see it? So have you guessed who it is yet? <laughs> Me? Have I guessed who it is? Yes. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, well, just, just wait a minute. Let, let's show one more picture to make sure they can... Oh, there it is. There, ladies and gentlemen, is the barbed wire. And there next to the barbed wire is the lady in white boots telling them about this amazing new technology, which ended up being a rowdy success for our little company and something that I'm very, very proud about. The interesting thing is somewhere along through all of this, the lady in the white boots decided that she liked science. And so that gets back to this question that came in this week, uh, can ladies do science? And so wouldn't it be interesting to ask uh, Dr. Peget, <laughs> can ladies do science? They absolutely can. Tell us about your experience. <laughs> well, you've heard a little bit about my experience. Obviously, my story just got told. <laughs> so, my, my, oh, was that you? My <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I just gone? put it together. <laughs> I had no idea exactly why we were dancing at the time, but mm -hmm. you know, since you were my mentor and I was a student, I thought we better do this. And you're right, I did not talk about myself, I talked about the barbed wire, and I said, can you see this? Let's change the subject. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yes, ladies can do science. It's interesting because when I first started, I, um, I was a little bit unsure of whether or not I thought I could um, do science. I felt um, very uh, incapable. I felt like I didn't know it. I felt like I didn't understand it. I felt like I couldn't. Um, you want to say maybe perhaps there was a mental block there. I, I didn't think that I had the capacity to. And I um, appreciated those who could. And I admired them. But boy, that wasn't me. <laughs> that just wasn't me. And then when I um, was introduced to Dr. Billings, and um, I started realizing that I can. And I, I found a passion for wanting to understand it, and when I started to become exposed to it, oh my goodness, I did not know that those nerves could get out of me so fast. I, I completely was um, dumbfounded. But when I started understanding some of the words and getting used to it and realizing that it's simple and it fits together, and um, I started even going down the road of with the wideband networking. I learned that I wasn't the only thing that had jitters. I learned that there were jitters and wires, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That <laughs> the crosstalk mm -hmm. and everything. And, and then it started becoming exciting to me, and I started putting the pieces together, and I started building on it. And all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, in some of those trade shows that we went to later on, I could actually talk these people. I, I could hold my own. And when I first realized that, it did something to me. And it um, boosted my confidence in an amazing way. It made me more excited. And it also made me um, really grateful to have somebody who believed that I could, who inspired me, who didn't let me get away with, well, I can't. And it's past my understanding. And I don't have the ability to do that. And who was that? No. <laughs> well, you know, um, Peje is a, is a real success story. 
And I've learned that uh, a lot of guys come into science, it seems like, a little bit faster, and it, it's because they have more experience with it. Uh, guys seem to get more interested in things like cars and technology early, and they learn the vocabulary. And a lot of ladies, they're dancing and riding horses and things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of guys do that too. But the point is, uh, the ability to do science is... Uh, is no different as near as I can tell. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to love it. In fact, I got another text message from a one of our students said she wanted to inform me she still doesn't like science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I came nice in today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, by the way. I'm working on it. But, you know, it's not... It's not right that everybody should love science, just like it's probably not true that everybody loves ballet or everybody loves orchestra music or anything else. One of the wonderful things about life is we're so different. And we're supposed to like different things. But I don't like anybody to ever think or believe that ladies can't do it. And yes, you have to work. Guys yes, do you too. Do. You have to put the effort in and learn it. But you can. And then you can do some real amazing things. Well, you saw Peugeot, the barbed wire girl. <laughs> new, new title. Yeah. The barbed wire girl. Uh, eventually, she graduated. And she decided that she wanted to go into business for herself. She wanted to start her own company. And she wanted it to be a high-tech electronic company. And... And so I thought, well, I got to talk rather. I want her to work for me <laughs> because she was good. She was really good. And so I decided this is the meeting where I'm going to convince her that she could come and join my company where I'm doing this networking stuff. And so we sat down and I looked at her, and it just so happens that I have a picture of what she looked like at that meeting. <clears throat> you have a picture. There she is. <laughs> now hold this picture for just a minute, and while you're looking at it, just imagine me here saying, you need to work for me. <laughs> okay, now I want to show you one more picture, and this is her answer. Yes, this is ComTech <laughs> Networking, her company. That's right, 2005. And she was determined, <laughs> and she did it. Yeah. But can you see those blue boxes? That's what her company sold. And that's wideband switches. Hooray! So she worked for us without working for us. Exactly. Why would I? Yeah, see, it wasn't that bad. It was fun. You know, (laughs) wideband had 300 companies that were resellers of our products. And in just, I think it was two years, Mm -hmm. she became our largest reseller, which was really fun. The world was our territory. Yeah, she kind (laughs) of... Sold everywhere, <laughs> in the air everywhere. That was awesome. That was our slogan at the radio station where I used to work, in the air everywhere. That must have inspired me to take down yeah. the whole territory. I quite figure it is. Anyway, well, I'm glad to, uh, to be able to share that story with all of you that, that have interest. And, you know, uh, the, the goal of Science Live isn't to try to turn everybody into a scientist. Uh, in fact, a world that was only scientists, you know, that would probably not be a good idea. <laughs> but the idea of you can mm-hmm. is the idea I'd really like to portray. Science is a career you can go into, but you can also go into law. 
and you can go into business and you can go into ballet and you can go into the things you want. Uh, I'm so grateful that Bill Lear took the time to mentor me. And I think the greatest thing that I ever learned from him was that if I believed in, and really put my heart into it, I could. And I think the training and the example he gave me prepared me to go into my career, which is in technology, but I think it also prepared me to go into any other career that I really wanted to. I chose the one that was right for me, but I think the same principles apply and could have gone in other directions. I was realizing when you told that story, which I believe that the attitude of I can is powerful. I, it does something mentally, it does something even physically to believe that you can makes a difference. Even in those hard moments when that technology, when those words make absolute no sense, knowing that you are going to get it um, really is empowering. But when you're telling the story about the Wigand, we call it the Wigand at the time, that barbed wire demonstration, I don't think um, you realize how much of a feat that was. I mean, we have cabling now, not you, I'm talking about the students here. We have <laughs> cabling now and things. I'm a student. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, but in that demonstration, you had the barbed wire, but we also had cables that had a nail through it. And when you zoom in on it, I mean, that is really remarkable. And when you were telling the story, I realized I'm gonna show them, sounds a lot like your mentor and be able to learn wrapping that wire making the radio. <laughs> well, he sure taught me that you really can do what you believe you can do and the power of a po positive attitude, determined attitude, and believing in yourself mm -hmm. is just so important. Um, there's one other story that I'd kind of like to share with you tonight that was one of the real traumatic ones in my life. And um, I did bring a picture I'll show you in just a minute as we get into the story, but it was a, an opportunity that I had to, to visit Brazil. Brazil is a, a beautiful country in South America. In fact, it's kind of like the real industrial power of South America. And they speak Portuguese as their language. And I had the opportunity to take my little family on a one-month trip to Brazil which was pretty exciting to me. We were out of school, but not that well healed financially yet. But we found a, a charter jet that was gonna go there with the Brazilian American Society. And you had to go on a certain day in a certain plane, and you had to come back on exactly the day that one plane returned. But in doing so, you were able to go for, oh, less than half of the regular airfare. So we went, and we were excited, and we had our experience. And on our last day in Brazil, when it was time to finally come back home, we got in the taxi at the, uh, the beach. It was actually Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and started heading back to the airport to catch our flight. Now, it was my lovely wife and I and our one child at the time, and when we got into the taxi, there's a little meter that they're supposed to click down to start keeping track of how much it's going to cost. And next to the meter, there was a little placard saying, warning, make sure the driver starts the meter. And then it said, some drivers don't turn on their meter and then charge astronomical prices, which is against the law. 
And I just happened to read enough Portuguese to know what that meant, and he didn't start the meter. So I asked him, could you please start the meter? And he says, no, it's a preço único. There's just one price to the airport. And he told me what the price was. It was really, really high. And I think he figured out that we were very, very wealthy Americans, which we were Americans, we weren't so wealthy. <laughs> and uh, he said, that's the price you have to pay. And I said, well, then we'll get another taxi. And he was not very happy at me. He pulled over and, and we opened the door and we got out and we got the luggage and, and uh, he went zooming off in a huff of, of unpleasantness. I thought, whoa, that was close. And as he went around the corner, I realized that my briefcase was still in the taxi. In Brazil, you're always worried about losing your, your belongings. And so I had my watch, my wallet, our passports, our airline tickets, our money. Everything was in that briefcase. And away it went. And so here we were just a few hours from when this flight was to take off. And uh, what are we going to do? We went back into the hotel. We called the American Embassy, and we said, hey, we just lost our, our passports, and uh, we have to be on this charter flight. Is there any way we can get back into the country without a passport? I'm sorry, you can't, but we can get you one in a week. Well, in a week, our flight would be gone, and we sure couldn't afford a regular airplane. And it was just like, wow. Wow. Uh, it's one of those moments where you feel like you don't know what to do. So I went back across the road from the hotel, which is where the beach was, beautiful beach. And I sat there on a little bench just trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do. And while I was sitting there, these two little boys came up, and they didn't have shoes, and, and they were begging. And they asked me for money. And I looked at him and I said, you won't believe this, but you guys have more money than I do. <laughs> and it was true. And it was devastating. And I just thought, what in the world am I going to do? Now, I, I want to show you a picture of this little uh, beach. Here it is. This is, isn't it pretty? It is. This is where it is. It's Copacabana in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Beautiful, beautiful place. And this beach is interesting because it, turns just the right way so you can see the sunrise over the water and then the same day you can see the sunset over the water just because of how it's turned it's kind of neat beautiful place but uh, this picture brings back some really intense memories because it had been bad if it had been me but with a little family and I realized I didn't even have enough money to get another hotel room. I had a credit card, but it was in the bag. And there we were. And it, it's one of those things where you feel like it's the end game. There's nothing that you can do except what? Nothing. And so um, after pondering there for some time, I realized that in my my pant pocket. We talked about solar pants, didn't we? Well, these, these weren't solar. They're just, you know, the old kind with pockets. But I had just enough money 
to pay for a taxi if they charge the right fare to get to the airport. But it wouldn't do any good to get to the airport. But I felt, well, we should. So we spent our last money. We could have bought food or we could have rode the taxi. And we took the taxi to the airport. And um, you, you don't know what that's like until you go through it. And yet I think everybody gets to find out what it's like because as near as I can tell, part of this life that we're in is we all get to go through an experience or maybe a couple like that. It's like maybe it's supposed to teach us to be better people and do the right things. But we went to the airport, and as we went walking in, in fact, I got a picture of the airport, Galeon Airport. There it is. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's it. So we went walking in the front door of this big giant airport, Terminal 1, and we heard over the PA system them announcing my name. <laughs> wow. What's the chance they would know my name? We went to the security guy and somebody, and I don't know who it was, but someone climbed in that taxi after we did found my briefcase. The driver, I think, was not happy with me because I wouldn't, I couldn't even afford to pay what he was asking. But someone got in that taxi cab, found my briefcase, saw the tickets, and took the taxi all the way to the airport, probably a 30-minute drive, and uh, turned it in. And... What an act of kindness. And we didn't even get to thank them. We didn't even know who it was. To this day, we don't. So we're in a real predicament. We have to be nice to everybody. <laughs> we just don't know we do. who we owe it to. But you know, on that day, I think I learned a good lesson, and maybe two. One was making the decision to go forward, to not give up, but to go forward. And you know, so many times in life, if we go forward, things work out. And the second thing that I learned is how wonderful it is when somebody, not for credit, not because it's their duty, but just because they're good people, Somebody did something nice for someone, and this time, it just happened to be me. I resolved that day, I want to be like that person. And so far, every time I got in a taxi, there have been no wallets or briefcases there. <laughs> but boy, if I found it, I would do the right thing. And if you look for opportunities, to show human kindness, they're everywhere. And we should look for them, we should jump on them, and we should make this world that kind of place. We can, you know, um, I don't know where you get to live, but it's pretty well fixed now that the place I'm gonna live is right here on planet Earth. <laughs> and unless, you know, SpaceX comes through and I can get to Mars, I'm stuck here. So if I'm going to be on this planet for my whole life, then my idea is I want to make this planet as good a place as I can 
so that I'll live in the most wonderful place possible. And if everyone would just hear that philosophy and get that idea and that attitude, this could be a really, really wonderful place. Maybe that was part of what inspired me to want to inspire Dr. Monet in her studies when I had the opportunity to help her understand, instill in her a knowledge that she could do this if this is what she wanted to do. And now she's, she's done so many things to help so many people. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about her and, and if I helped her, it just makes me feel good because I see how many people she's helping. And that's really where we wanna be. That's where we wanna go. That's how we want to have our life's contribution. You didn't make it easy. <laughs> you didn't, you made me earn it. <laughs> Could we discuss this off the record? <laughs> I just wanted to add that in there because it is hard work, it is challenging. When he you know, gives you a situation and says go figure it out, and you realize when you're standing there by yourself, you're, you're figuring it out. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of problems to me. Do you know what Einstein said? <laughs> Yes. Why don't you read right there? I just see that on your computer. Read what he, on the right, yeah. Read, whoops, there it went, there it's back. You took it off, here it is. This is Einstein talking about people that make problems. Uh, I don't want to read this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Einstein. It says, stay away from negative people. They have a problem for every solution. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not negative. <laughs> it's so amazing that was on her computer. I did not put that there. It, it's there. Oh, it is absolutely there. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, well, I appreciate you know, you. learning is hard work. It is. And that's bad or is it? It's when you do something yeah. that's really challenging that you feel that sense of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And it's also when you're empowered to do something that really matters. So study yep. hard. Okay? okay, thank you, good night. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.